What's up, fam? It's your boy. And man, I have a special guest on the Craig Houston podcast for today. This is an outstanding gentleman that I definitely want you to be introduced to, a mentor of mine and someone I always looked up to out of the military. One of the things that you always want to do is learn how to bet on yourself. And my next guest is going to talk to you about exactly how they went about betting on themselves and figuring out what was the best journey for them to take and the approach they went about it. As a matter of fact, my next guest has written two books, and I can't wait to talk to you about that as well. So we're going to get directly into it and not waste any more time. I want to introduce you to my homeboy, Terry Spain. How you doing, Terry? Craig, what's going on, man? How's everything going with you? Man, ain't much, man. I appreciate you for joining me on the podcast today, man. It's a pleasure and an honor, and I'm glad to see that you're enjoying that retirement life, and I want to be just like you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Oh, well, man, uh, where do we begin? You know, it's a lot of stuff. But um, but honestly, first of all, before I begin, though, I honestly want to say I'm really proud of you, though, man. You know, um, there's a uh, there's a lot of stuff that you that a lot of people get entangled in and they uh, don't stay true to their craft or anything. But for you, um, I'm really impressed by the stuff that you're doing. And I'm really impressed that you took the initiative to do a podcast such as this, because I think it's greatly needed. So I definitely appreciate you for that, man. And congratulations. Um, I, thank you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Got to give you your flowers while you're still alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure, for sure. Oh, yeah. But uh, as you mentioned before, you asked me to give me a little bit about myself. Um, so I always like to start off when folks ask me this question, because I get asked this question uh, quite often. And uh, so I like to start from the ground root. You know, I'm originally from South Carolina. I was born in Charleston, but um, I'm originally from this place called small town called Conway, South Carolina, which is uh, very close to uh, Myrtle Beach. It's about five, 10 miles, if that. Um, so, uh, but I'm a military brat, believe it or not. My dad was in the Marine Corps for about 30 years. And I, up to my 12, when I turned 12 years old, we moved to Naples, Italy. So from 12 to like 15, 16 years old, we actually moved to Italy. I lived in Italy for three and a half, four years. And after my dad uh, left Italy, we got stationed in, on Paris Island with the Marine Corps boot camp where it all begins. And that's where I graduated high school at Baton Creek High School in, in Beaufort, South Carolina. Uh, stayed in South Carolina for a little bit. And I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. You know, there was a few options, but I decided to join the world's greatest Navy. And, and I tell people that all the time that that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me was joining the Navy. I had an opportunity. That's where I met my wife. I met my wife. She was in the Navy and we had a daughter. So that was uh, definitely a rewarding thing. But I met some very dynamic people in the military, including yourself. And so um, I'm extremely grateful for that. So that's me in a nutshell. And then I retired. And once I retired, um, of course, you know, everything had really um, stayed its course. You know, there were ups and downs, of course, but I uh, stayed my course. And uh just kind of reaping the benefits, so to speak, of all the stuff that I've been working for with hard work. So how many years you doing in uh, military, Terry? 21? Yeah, I did 21. And the reason why I did 21, and a lot of people always ask me, like, why didn't you do 22? Why didn't you, you know, stay longer? Because as you already know, we could we could stay longer. But 21 is my favorite number. That's my basketball number. That's everything. So I decided to do 21 years, and that was it. I was set on that number, 21. Okay, okay. Out of 21 years of uh, naval history, what made you decide 
to go ahead and decide to join in the world greatest Navy, as you say. <laughs> well, uh, like I mentioned to you before, um, I was 20 years old when I joined and uh, I was still trying to find what I wanted to do out of life. You know, I know that the military was always an option because that's where I grew up. You know, I was you know ingrained from a military background. But I, um, I remember living in Italy. I used to see the fleet come in. All the ships used to come in at the, uh, the in, in Naples. And I used to have an opportunity to interact with some of these sailors. And they used to tell me about all these fun ports and all these good things that they have going on. So I was excited about that. Uh, I had two brother-in-laws that were in the Navy as well. And uh, they kind of, you know, let me know about some stuff that was in the Navy. So I decided to give it a shot. You know, that's crazy because um, that's like one of the things that a lot of people don't realize that they they actually affect uh, change in people sometimes is that basically in, in a in a passing of interchange that they can actually make a dynamic approach on somebody to make them think they should be actually wanting to do the same thing and have the same uh, luxuries at some point. Like we take that for granted that we pull in, tie to the pier, go out on liberty, enjoy ourselves and go back and get back on the way and continue the mission on. But we have affected a lot of people just by actually showing up in that in, in that manner of diplomacy that we like to call it i agree man 100 and it definitely affected me so I'm, I'm extremely you know grateful for that so yeah i don't really tell this story a lot to a lot of people man but you know i, I tried to join the navy when i was 16. my recruiter he'll tell you 16. a lot of people don't know i tried to join at 16 and um that he he didn't find out to like literally he asked me what my birthday was like i had been there like 10 20 minutes or so he like hey. and i tell him he go Hey man, you 16. I think he put it in the computer too. I think he realized that he put it in the computer. <laughs> so I've I've always decided I wanted to be in the Navy too. And it's just one of those things that uh a lot of people just do take for granted. So and I'm glad that you had you got to do your 21 years and you got to enjoy it. Uh what did you one of the things that you decided to do after you left the military? Uh you say one of the things I decided to after I joined? So after you had to, after you retire and you had decided, you know, I'm going to do this for a little bit. What did you decide to do first? Um, well, one of the big things I just I took a break because when you do that amount of years in the military or any job in particular, I, I strongly recommend that that you just take a break from it all. So I, t I took a little break and um, I got offered a job at um, for the state of Florida. And I, and I took I accepted that job and I did that for about uh, about a year or so. But then I, I decided, I said, you know what, um, the job is not bad. It, I like the, the the mission that the job had for the state, but um, I wanted to do more. So I gave I did, I gave them a courtesy month or two notice. Most people get two weeks. I think I gave like a month or two. And, <laughs> uh, you know, just to let them know, because I was just kind of that person to be courteous, because I know a job in that magnitude, you, you want to get the right person in there. And so um, I did that. And. Um, decided to take a more break and 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 and, and kind of invest in myself a little bit. So that's what I did. Okay. Okay. Got it. So let's uh, talk about some of the things that you decided to do, because like we talked about this, uh, this podcast is labeled bet on yourself. And you're one of the most in, uh, individuals I know who left the military and decided that you had a call and a passion to do something that you felt was the right thing to do for you and for others and to reach out and help develop others. So, um, for those who don't know, tell them a little bit of what you do today. Well, um, so there, I, I do a kind of a series of, of a lot of different things, but uh, one of the main things that I concentrate on is uh, diversity and inclusion and leadership. When I was in the Navy, for my last six or seven years in the Navy, I was an equal opportunity advisor, which was later changed to command climate specialist. 
And within that, um, as you can attest to, that's where I met you at when I was in Washington, D.C. That was a major responsibility for me because I was in charge of the National Capital Region, which included the White House, Camp David, portions of the uh, Annapolis and, you know, big, big, big time organizations such as that. And um, once I left uh, the, the D.C. area, I, I had an opportunity to be stationed at Patrick Air Force Base where they teach the school, the training where I had to go to to uh, actually learn how to be an equal opportunity advisor at that time. And um, and so when I was an instructor there, I decided to that I really I really love that. I love teaching. I love, you know, doing diversity and inclusion. I really love showing people, giving people different tips and trades so that they can you know, better themselves. And so uh, I decided to do that and 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 make that a full time thing for me. And I, I started my own consulting business. And once I did that, I went to a lot of I did a lot of public speaking, a lot of speaking at different conferences, different uh, colleges and universities. And um, and I did a, I helped a lot with nonprofit nonprofit. And then after that, um, one of the passions that I've had, I had this when I was stationed in, in, um, in Pensacola, Pensacola, Florida, over 20 years ago um, is helping the youth because oftentimes they're forgotten. Sometimes they uh, need that direction and that guidance. And so I saw my dad do it at a young age um, when he was very heavily involved in helping uh, young men. So I decided to take that same quote unquote uh, mission that he had and kind of tweaked it to, uh, to, to some of the stuff that I wanted to do. And I started getting more involved in the community, um, not only uh, in the schools, but I also uh, volunteer at the, at the juvenile detention center as well where I teach a life skills class. I volunteer, this is strictly volunteer. I don't ask for no money. And I bring other people in who are influential in the community as well. And they have an opportunity to come and give them some guidance and show them that, hey, there are other options out there besides being in the juvenile detention center. So that's been working and that's been kind of honing me in different directions. And I tell people, I'm not just a one trick pony. I have a lot of, uh, of things to offer, but uh, diversity, inclusion, and leadership is what is my passion, and um, and helping the youth and and helping young men and helping them succeed, and you know uh, getting their goals and putting their goals out there so that they can achieve those goals. I love to see that. So those have been my calling um, for me. I think um, as far as like helping out and doing stuff within our community. That's huge, right? Because. Um... I, I think community service is one of the things that we do kind of lack a little bit more than others. Uh, we we try to do it as a whole, as an organization in the United States Navy. Uh, we actually incentivize it a little bit with the Military Outstanding Volunteer Service Medal, or some call uh, But actually giving it back into the community the way uh, that you want to, or that you want to affect change in people, or actually show that it's a bigger side to things than what they just see in the uh, in their environment. Because a lot of times we hear people say, no, they are a product of their environment. And it's something that we can help change to show an expansion of that environment. I can tell you when I left, uh, and I can test to it too, is when I left Birmingham uh, and joined the military, I didn't realize how big the world really was. You know, you go places, things, but that when you out there on your own and you get to see these things, it shows you a different side of uh, life that you can expect uh, things to be better and and, and you want to see others feel that same vibe as well too so i think that's important like, like you say to give back i agree i definitely agree with that and like i said just imagine me i had i witnessed that at 12 years old moving from south carolina conway south carolina to to italy you know where they speak a totally different language the culture is different so that that really 
opened my eyes to a lot of stuff in the cultural competency and things of that nature as well. So yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to I want to talk about diversity and inclusion in the workplace, okay, a little bit here because and we people people give simios a hard time uh, in the fleet. And I had to do that job for a while too as well uh at one of my previous commands and I know how big of an undertaking it is to worry about uh equal opportunity in the workplace to make sure that there's no discrimination going on, that you definitely including everybody along the way. But you recognize that there was a demand, like you're supplying a demand at this point in time. How did you realize it was a big enough demand for you to start your own consulting firm at that point in time? Oh, that, that's a great question. And uh, that's a million dollar question. But I knew it was a demand when I saw um, a lot of companies reaching out, publicizing, saying that they need diversity and inclusion and belonging and they need these different things it was very incentive incentivized all over the united states and and so a lot of people have been reaching out to me and i, I remember when i first started out they were reaching out uh, you will be you'll be surprised fortune 500 companies were reaching out and saying hey can you come in and give me give my uh organization some type of training and i knew that they were um willing to do that because they were willing to pay or offer anything that they can in order to get me or some people that were in um, the same field as myself that. And so I understood the importance when I saw um, from the top um, how uh, our, our leaders, our senators and things of that nature were advocating for change, advocating for diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And, I, and, I, and you can kind of see the shift as it relates to if you watch the news and things of that nature. So I knew it was a high demand. And there's been an unfortunate, there have been incidents in the United States and a matter of fact, across the world, but um, that has uh, triggered, so to speak, uh, more companies, more people to be mindful of their actions and, 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 and understand the importance of diversity and inclusion and belonging. So realistically, these Fortune 500 companies knew they had a problem on their hand. And they, so do you believe that at some point in time that it was that shift allowed for the Omi because that's the that's the uh, the command that actually teaches the command climate specialist course, correct? That uh, basically they had they, the Omi was like almost an olive branch to these companies because the Omi is such recognized is a recognizable name across the country or the globe, really and truly. Yeah, uh, and and just keep in mind too, like the Omi, their 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 main mission is to uh, train um, military employees as well as federal employees. So uh, they don't really deal with the uh, the outside, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Those when you get your own private sector businesses and things of that nature. But um, I know that they uh, they probably even mimic or learn some stuff from um, or, or people who were products of the Omi. They had an opportunity to spread their wings once they left the Omi and kind of utilize what they've learned and just implemented in the civilian sector. So that so in that aspect, yeah, they probably benefited from that. Because I was just trying to figure out, like, for some people who may be in the position where they don't realize that they have the skill set of a CMEO uh, or going to command climate specialist route, how could they actually leverage this for themselves as they think about their uh, transition uh, aspects of leaving the military as well? Yeah. And one of the things that I always encourage people to do is um, because the military and the civilian sector are very different in some aspects as far as laws and rules. I kind of recommend them that, that they need to take a, a, a private sector 
um, diversity and inclusion course. Um, I did a couple courses with a couple of universities and a couple of uh, institutes. And it actually benefited me because I had an opportunity to learn the civilian side versus just always depending on the military side. In particular, if you're going to be transitioning out, whether it's retirement or whether it's just getting out the, out the military, I highly recommend if this is something that you really want to do, that you familiarize yourself with um, the civilian sector as well. That's crazy because uh, all right now I'm in a, a management ethics class to finish up my degree. And one of the main things they talk about is that, you know, management of all sorts definitely needs to have some type of HR related, uh, relatable course that they should go through or some type of training that they go through. And a lot of it deals with obviously uh, equal opportunity and inclusion. And like this whole thing right now that I'm seeing with SRAM, the, um, the HR management certification huge. And when I started to see advertisements on this, this is a conversation where a lot of people that like we do this every day. We really like chiefs are really like human resources every day. Oh, really? Actually, they potential that they actually have to actually move into that field if they put themselves in the right situation by getting the certifications or getting the right type of trainings to actually accommodate themselves a part of their transition. Yeah, Sherm is definitely a, it's huge. And um, they also uh, give a CEU. So if you want to continue your education, you can get those SHRM credits and that actually help you out. And like I said, and, and it familiarize you with the, uh, the civilian sector versus kind of just honing in on the military sector where you're kind of trying to, uh, to, to kind of get out of that, get out of that, uh, that arena and moving into the civilian sector. So yeah, the SHRM is, is definitely, uh, is definitely a, a great avenue as well. So, just my question just staying sitting here thinking about how you know you've gotten opportunities to obviously address fortune 500 companies and actually see how some of the inner workings work behind the scenes when it comes to that not giving like names or anything of that sort but what are some of the biggest surprises that you see that there's a gap in between what you see in the service and what you see in the civilian sector <laughs> ah, so you're trying to get me in trouble no <laughs> no no um without naming any names i think um Believe it or not, there's a lot of similarities. Um, but one of the things that I, I can kind of see is that um, the leadership potential or the promotion potential um, could be better in some some sectors versus in the military. We're, we're kind of based on our productivity, whether you pass an exam and you you pass it high enough to advance to the next grade. It it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a male. You know what I mean. But um, and then you get you move up into the ranks for for certain branches. Right. But um, for some um for for some, for some companies, initially it's usually hard sometimes, not all the time. Um, for certain females or ethnicity or just people in general of of color, sometimes that I've seen in my experiences, it's a harder time to uh to move up. So that belonging factor that they have, you know, you got diversity and inclusion and companies may have diversity and inclusion, but oftentimes, sometimes in my experience that they're missing that belonging factor where if I work at a command or if I work at an organization and I'm inside that organization, but I don't feel like I belong, that's when you lose a lot of people. And so it's, it, I think they had to kind of tie that in where they can find ways to incorporate people to make them feel like they, you know, they're a part of the team. Got you, got you. Yeah, I'm not trying to get you in no trouble. But I ain't trying oh, no, to no, no, no. I know, I know you're not. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, just for a second here, because you did mention uh, your volunteer efforts, and you did talk about how you're teaching life skills 
and things of that nature. And like we talked about, that is important. Um, just a bit more. Uh, so I know you talked about how your father made an impact in the community and that helped you kind of see in your eyes that you wanted to make that same type of impact. Um, how has that uh, affected you now as you go about your, your journey in consulting uh, and helping the workplaces, but also seeing that people who are coming up out of the youth that's trying to get into those same workplaces? So you said, how did, how did that affect me? It's how again? Because I want to make sure I answer you correctly. Affect you as you go forward and teaching your, uh, and you consulting and giving trainers out on work, inclusion in the workplace. How does that affect you, what you're doing in the community? Uh, you want to see them transition directly into the community as well of being in those same workplaces. How does that kind of help you try to bridge the gap for both of those? Well, um, what I usually try to do is I try to bring some of those owners, those business owners, those, those, uh, those, um, the department heads or, you know, figureheads in the, in the organizations, I try to bring them to the uh, juvenile detention center so they can have an opportunity to hear what these young men and women have to say or why they were put in this predicament. And so they get an opportunity to understand them better. And then, then they get to provide feedback. Um, they meaning the young men and women can provide feedback to these, uh, these figureheads, so to speak. And um, it, it just gives them an opportunity to, to, to take notes. It gives them opportunity to understand when they're hiring someone who may have had a pass in the, in the, um, uh, before they uh, apply for the job, then they could be more compassionate about, you know, some of the, some of the challenges that they may have. And that's one of the, um, the things that, that is, that has worked and, and, and folks understand. And I try to reiterate that when I go to different organizations and I say, uh, it's nothing wrong with having second chances. And so if you give someone a second chance and they may take that second chance and be your best employee. And that's, that's powerful because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like you're doing something that a lot of people wish that they could do is like bridge those connections like that. If you're, if you're getting stakeholders from people who are consulting with you to see that uh, people in different environments who may have you know, less than them or not be as privileged as them in certain cases. And it's nothing wrong with actually being in a certain different type of, uh, uh, net worth and things of that nature, but actually, like you say, seeing that they can reach down and help somebody else, or at least be a little bit more compassionate towards them, that's huge for a, a lot of uh, of our youth going today. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. So let's talk about how you moved on from, well, not moved on, but you're in, in the midst of consulting and and turning and you know seeing what you're doing with the Fortune 500 companies. You decided that you had to release a book. Let's talk about your first book first. OK, so my first book is called Just Lead. And pretty much what that is, is just a, um, a book that just gives it's a it's a quick read. It's not a, it's not a, a big, huge book. And I did that by design because I wanted people I wanted to grasp the attention of, of anyone that could pick up this book and read. And it was kind of like a, a, a book to motivate people to lead, understand where I was coming from, some of the experiences that I went through. And it was also kind of trying just to motivate people to be a productive citizen, not only in their community, but in their lives, in their family's lives, at their job. And I've gotten tremendous feedback from so many people about that book, even though it was small and innate in stature, it was powerful. The words and the, and, the, and, the, and the meaning of that book was very powerful. And I've gotten stuff from someone said, you know, I was deciding on if I should start a business. And after reading your book, I decided to go ahead and, and, and start a business because your book encouraged me to do that. And that meant so much to me because that, that that let me know that that was designed for me to uh, that was that that was a design for me to do with that book. I've I've also 
donated uh, several of those books that I wrote um, just lead to the, uh, the juvenile detention centers. And these young men and women had an opportunity to take these books and read it. And some of them actually reached back out to me after they got out of the program and just thanked me for, you know, helping them. And they said, I still got your book, Mr. Terry. I still got your book. And I read it and I write my goals in there and I do everything that you have in the book. So that means that lets me know if I didn't sell nothing but 20 books, just by getting feedbacks like the feedback like that, that just let me know that everything that I decided to put on that, on that, um, writing that book worked out. And I'm gonna tell you a funny story how this book started. Um, I was at a, uh, a conference and I was speaking, um, it was at a seminar that one of the, uh, another diversity and inclusion uh, professional uh, was putting on. And everybody on the panel that I was with was an author. So one of the ladies came up to me, she's an author, she's a, a best-selling author. She came up to me and she said, hey, um, do you realize that everybody that's on this panel is an author except for you? <laughs> she said, I don't care if you got a little book or something, they need to see something that they can remember you by. And that hit me. I was like, wow, you know what? I looked around the, the, the panel and I was like, yeah, yeah, these, these people are authors. And I was the only one that didn't have a book. Mm. And so that kind of lit a fire in me. And uh, and from there, that's why I started my first book. So as you know, when you do something for your first time, you got a lot of a learning experience and stuff. So you know what to not do and do for your second book. And I think I think that second book for me um I'm, I'm i'm really excited about it you know i'm glad I, I wrote that one as well because that is dedicated to young men but a young woman can pick up this book and the same rule applies it's not just because the title says hey young man it can be young man young woman it doesn't matter it applies to them as well so so yeah so that's crazy because that's so, okay talk walk me through the process though because i got thoughts in my head i just want to know so i'm gonna ask you questions just so I can understand, you understand that you understood that you didn't have a book on a, a panels. And it's like, okay, that it wasn't a competitive thing. It was more so of, yeah, I want to be, I want to, I want to be taken just as serious as everybody else in the room type of thing. Right. Right. And she was planting that seed in me because obviously um, she, she saw the potential in me and she saw what I was doing. And you know what? I'm extremely grateful for her because she actually lit a fire in me. You know, I always wanted to write a book, but I just didn't, you know, I kind of put it off. You know what a lot of stuff you do, you just put it off and things of that nature. But she lit a fire and I and I'm extremely grateful that she challenged me on that too. So yeah. I'm in, I'm kind of like um I think about it like as I got more questions, I kind of think like, why doesn't a lot of chiefs or a lot of uh, senior officers write books? Because you deal with so many challenges throughout your career that is like. I know other people want to have to deal with these things. So like from your, so you, you called the book just lead. How did you go about addressing what you wanted to outline in your book, in your leadership type style? Um, so I just, I reflected back on a lot of things that I've even encountered or went through or what have you. And then I looked at different people's leadership styles and um, I went from there to be honest with you. And I just kind of let it flow. Um, I used to wake up every Sunday morning, roughly about 6.30 in the morning, and I would come up to my man cave and just start writing. And I didn't question it, you know, because I, I I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a religious guy, you know, I mean, I'm not like all, you know, but I, I, I can say that um, I knew it was God that was directing me to do this because I woke up every morning, I mean, every Sunday, almost at the same time and came up here and did the same exact thing. 
So that motivated me. And I don't know why it was on a Sunday. I, I mean, I, I didn't even ask a question. I just went up there and did that and just let it go. And so, uh, man, I'm telling you, it's the book has been um, very, very powerful. This book is in several countries throughout the out, out, out of you out this world. And I've been getting feedback from people and a lot of people really supported me and a lot of people showed love um, when I wrote this book because they knew it was my first one. My second book um, was uh, it's just equally the same. And I, it's been, you know, it's a whole new different brand, you know, with that. And I also have the Spain train brand. Uh, so uh, where, where I got shirts, apparels and things of that nature and hoodies. And these things have been selling everywhere. And I know just um. You know, everything just happened for a reason, man. And I'm just extremely grateful and honored for people to even have the Spain train apparel and even um, reading and buying my books and things of that nature. So, yeah, it's been working out, man. So you think that the book was like a um, was an awakening uh, of sorts for you, like something that was laying di- lying dormant inside of you and they woke you up? Sleeping giant. I'm telling you, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot more that um, that I want to do. And, and one of the things that I did do, and I, and I want to mention it, in my first book, Just Lead, I wanted to empower some other gentlemen in my book that I held to a high regards. So I have people that I've been knowing for quite some time, and I had asked them to write a different uh, a section of, of in the book. So you'll see, and if you read in the back of the book, there's different people in the back of the book on um, giving their um, their answer about leadership and what does leadership mean to them. So I got an opportunity to empower them because not only when you type my name in, their name will come up as well because they are um, they, they they wrote a piece of um, of uh, of their um, of their answer or their uh, their statement in the uh, in the, my book. So this was an opportunity to empower some other brothers as well. So yeah, wow, that's powerful, man. I I'm, I I can't I don't even have the words to say like how I feel about you know annoying somebody who has written a book who has went going out there on that limb and said, you know what, I'm going to put this out there and let it flow. It's almost like, you know, I, I do it almost like every day, really and truly, right? I do the same thing, uh, but not in comparison to what you did, because you literally, literally disciplined yourself to this that was going to affect or impact people's lives every day. And, you know, no matter how you go about impacting people, as long as you impact them, but you definitely have uh, got me something to expire to eventually one day is to write my own book as well. And you should. You definitely should. Any any help you need with that, I got you. Because um, it's I like to. I get excited when I when people come up to me and they say, you know what, man, I I always wanted to write a book. And I said, well, hey, what, what you waiting on? So I get excited, man. And so, like I said, anytime that you need any any help with anything, I'm always there to make sure that you're good to go. Well, you know, definitely, I'm going to always uh, link up with you and well, stuff, especially on stuff like that. That's that's something that I just. I can't even imagine. So let's talk about um, some experiences then, right? Since we know that, basically, well, let's not let's not do that. Let's talk about Hey Young Man just a little bit more because that is your, and your second book. I understand that the driving force was for the youth, but what made you feel like the shift was the next book should be for the youth? Man, um, I can honestly say I've had a lot of um, adults come up to me. And uh, they said, I see how you are with young people and they gravitate towards you. Have you ever thought about writing a book for young men? And by me uh, being, um, you know, being uh, doing teaching a life skills class at the juvenile detention center, I saw the gap in the desperate need that young men and women in that case needed. 
And so I was like, man, this is, it's because I've kind of reflected back to my childhood and how uh, when I grew up, it was a village. Like everyone, you know, it was all hands on deck, to be honest with you. And uh, so I remember um, just sitting back in my car and thinking um, after I left the juvenile attention, I said, I need to reach these young men and women, even when they are not in front of me. They need to have something that they can always go back to and say, OK, great. I can always refer back to that. And so that's where Hey Young Man came into came into uh to light. Okay, that that that's powerful because you you you're not only touching this generation, you're touching generations after you. Even when we do give you your flowers at the end of it all, it's still people who could be impacted by that on pages of the book that you've written. Okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna link to both books down in the description of this video. Uh and on podcast, if you listen to this on stream, it's definitely gonna be in the show notes as well. Um, just so that way that you can uh Terry spread the message uh from Jess Lee and for you know getting the message out to the youth through hey young man. We're gonna link to both of those and definitely while you over there pick up some Spain train gear. Now that we know what your two books are, books that you think that anyone should read when they get a chance. Hmm. Uh so I'm reading a book now. It's called uh From Average to Excellent by um it's a retired major named Isaac Johnson. And uh, I'm reading this book because I, I personally know him. But not only that, um, I understand I, when, when I was growing up, I saw how how important he was in my life and my family's lives. And so um, he wrote a book and I always looked up to him. I always liked how he carried himself. So when he wrote this book, um, I definitely had to get one. So I definitely um, I definitely wanted to, uh, to to read that. And I. I I recommend that to anyone. And then also uh, there's a book and in particular because we're veterans and a lot of veterans struggle when they um, sometimes when they get out the military, whether they retire or just just uh, get out at their turn. So there's a book um, called Daily Dose for Veterans. And what it is, is just little small scriptures in the book and it's motivational um, passages that they can read and it you know, help them and keep them going. So I read that too. I always look through those books um, just in case I needed to, you know, some kind of pick me up or things of that nature. So I'll read that daily dose for veterans and um, and go from there. So I recommend those two books. Got you. Uh, those, those sounds excellent. I'm gonna have to check both of those out. I got them written down and I'll link those in the description down below as well. So let's, let's talk about some things because uh, what we, we did, we kind of, Talked about your consulting business. We talked about this, how you came across writing your books. But all this stuff happened, if, I, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong in the time span, but all this happened at the at the crutch of the pandemic, though, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, go ahead. How did you manage that during the pandemic? Because I know that had to be a hard time. Man, listen. <laughs> it was definitely hard because um, I actually launched my book through the pandemic. I had everything mapped out. You know, um, I was going to go on a book tour. I was all excited about everything. I've already created like my banners and all these different things I had so I can go on book tour and bam, the, the pandemic hits. And so I had to reshift. I had to kind to I had to kind of, um, you know, alter the way I think how I was going to be able to push these books out. And so social media was actually the biggest way for me to get these books out and word of mouth, to be honest with you. And it was constant. It was repetition by me being um, by trade in the Navy. I'm a mass communication specialist, which is public affairs. And, you know, I, I had that already ingrained in me on how to market and advertise. So that's one of the things that I decided to do is 
market and advertise even during this pandemic. And what I did, and I know that it was, um, it was, you know how when you, you do things and don't look and look for stuff back in return, right? So a portion of my proceeds from my, my, my book, I donated it to my, uh, um, a, a charity in my hometown because it was a food bank that desperately needed, um, finances because the numbers double because a lot of people were either losing their jobs or just needed food or what have you. So I was directed in my heart to, um, to donate a, a significant portion of my books. I mean, portion of my proceeds from my books to this charity. And I did that. And, and I'm telling you, I had the greatest feeling. I didn't even want to look for anything in return. It was something that I felt that I needed to do one, because that's my hometown and you got to always take care of hometown. And, and two, um, I wouldn't be living by my book, just leave. Because in that book, I talk about helping out your community. And so if I didn't help out my community and I'm writing this book that's preaches on community, then who's supposed to take me serious? Absolutely, absolutely. That's powerful. So um, inclusion, diversity training, you're doing this during the pandemic, and I'm guessing you're doing this re remotely then, right? Yeah, so I definitely had to learn um, because uh, – I had a lot, I had about five or six speaking engagement or speaking opportunities that was supposed to be face-to-face. -face. And obviously during the pandemic, everything shut down. So either a lot of these uh, conferences either canceled or uh, some of them were going into virtual. And uh, so I had to kind of alter my way of training and teaching because it's difficult. If you haven't done it, it's very difficult to do a training virtually in grasping the attention of 200 people or 100 people but i had an opportunity to do it and it was successful um i like both i prefer face to face obviously because it definitely uh you get the, the you get the, the 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 excitement you get the the feel of people and uh and so i had an opportunity i just had to adjust from 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 going traditional face to face to virtual and so now that is making me even more deadly i tell people that all the time so yeah for people who haven't met Terry in person, his personality jumps off the screen. I'm telling you, like, as soon as you meet him, you just like, this dude has so much energy. I can imagine how hard of a struggle it was to actually um, decide to have to do it virtual because you got to, like, get your personality to come across the screen. But people want to engage with you when they're looking at a screen. That's, that's hard and difficult. But if you've mastered it, oh, yeah, you probably are dead, pretty daily at that point in time. So, uh, okay, so... That happened, and then that kind of showed you that it was, at that point in time, the right idea to bet on yourself, correct? Okay. So let us so let me wrap this up with the topic of betting on yourself of how did you, how would you determine that it was the right move for you at that point in time? What, what steps did you take to put yourself in a position to know that when it was the opportunity to present itself for you to bet on yourself, it was the right thing for you to do? Well, um, I actually consulted with a lot of people who I kind of um, value their opinions. And um, and I did tons of research. I'm not even going to lie. I did tons of research. I moved cautiously because I wanted to make sure that I was doing the right thing. And uh, once I figured out that, okay, these things, is this is the right move. I just I just latched on to it. And then the doors, I'm not even I'm not even making this up. The doors literally or the floodgates just came wide open. And from there, um, I've been extremely grateful. But one of the things that I do 
that I could encourage a lot of people to do when you're having when you have an opportunity to succeed and things are going well for you, grab other people so you can build them up because it's, it, you, it makes you even more uh, valuable and deadly. If you have a whole group of people that could do the same thing you could do and you all are on the same page versus you doing it and saying, look at me, this is what I do. Help other people out. And that's what I've been doing. And that's 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 great effort and great uh, deter- the tenacity because you're right. Networking and building your network to where you actually grow outside part of your ecosystem as you continue to grow is something that a lot of people do not uh, take advantage of. And I can tell you, I can tell you, and, and I'm gonna give you another example just to, to latch on to what you're saying. People always told me, "Hey, when you start your own business, get your make sure you get emails." You need a you need an email subscriber list. I like yeah yeah yeah. I'll build that later. I have one, somewhere, but it's one of those things that you wish that you never know when somebody may try to. Um, in today's cancel culture of things, you will never know when somebody will try to cancel you, and you got to still be able to reach out on your own and get things done in a in a swift manner. And having your team built around you who can help you do that that's that's powerful. So I'm glad to hear tell the audience, hey, build your own network. That is some. That a lot of people just write missed the opportunity to do. So, is there any other books coming that we should be aware of? Or are you gonna let Hey Young Man run for a little bit? I'm I'm gonna let that run for a bit, but there are opportunities, man. I've been I've been working with a lot of good people, and we've have um, some really good ideas uh, from all walks of all walks of life. Some are not even in the military, would never even serve. Um, but we we've gotten some um, some things that that are in the works. And I'm excited, but I can't release. I can't let the cat out the bag just yet. But but I'm 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 excited about a lot of great things that are happening, man. And and I'm just more I'm just more excited because a lot of people think that because you're in diversity and inclusion or what have you, that you have to stick to just that. And and I tell people all the time, hey, hey, I'm 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 well rounded, and, and that's how we should be. You know, you should you should always have you know a little bit about something. And um, and so I encourage people not just to feel comfortable in just what they know, you know, all uh, learn other trades. Um, I actually went back to school during the pandemic just for some certifications, um, just to better myself. And um, and, and I went from there and, and I, I've learned some stuff that I didn't even never thought that I was going to be able to take or would take from different colleges. Um, I took a, a class through Harvard University and uh, I was really I was really impressed by the course, and I was really excited that I was, had an opportunity to to go to Harvard and and and, te- and and take two courses from there. You took those in person, or you did those remotely? Remotely. I just wanted to be, boy. I want to say, well, you had some time on your hands. That's good. No, yeah, they were remotely. I can't take those. You know, Harvard's a little. I'm in Florida, so you know. I... <laughs> I'm there to the Okay. All right. <laughs> Hey, it definitely when you're ready to release more opportunities, hey, you know what? You always got a home to come uh, talk about those things over here for sure. Appreciate that. I definitely appreciate that. Oh, this is uh, let's close out with this. What is two things that you would tell uh, any transition and service member that they need to be prepared to do when they transition? Mm. I like that question. I like that question. And um, I'm going I'm to get up a little closer because I think that this is very important to me. I see tons of people that get out of the military and they're not prepared. And one of the things that I tell them, I say, if you're married, your entire family transitions, not just you. So if you have an opportunity to 
help your spouse succeed along with their your kids to succeed while they while you're in that only makes it better for you as you get out of the military because oftentimes there's people that depends on one salary because they're used to getting paid on the first and the 15th and then they kind of exclude their spouse from being from from living out their dreams so i t- i tell them that while you're in make sure your spouse goes to school make sure your spouse get this training make sure your kids understand the importance of when you transition, okay, uh, you're not gonna you're checking to go from two checks to one check. So I always tell a lot of people that transitioning is to if you can be um, as much uh, out of debt as possible. I recommend that. I also recommend um, if you can invest in something, invest in something, save your money. TSP is a a great thing. I remember when TSP came about. I think it was in 2002, if I'm not mistaken, and. Um, and I was told by my um, my chief at the time that we were all going to do this TSP. And initially, I was kind of against it. I was like, oh, I don't know too much about it, but I'm really glad that he encouraged us all to do the TSP. So, and if you don't have your degree, and I know degrees are not for everyone, I know school is not for everyone, but at least you can learn a trade. The military is paying for school. There should be no reason why you don't have any type of uh, any type of either a degree or certification that can better you. By the time you get out of the military, that's that's one of the biggest things that I harp on with a lot of folks that are getting out and make sure that uh, your medical stuff is uh, it's up to date. Because if you if you're having any issues medically, medical wise, I highly recommend that you get those things seen and documented before you get out the military. Man, you gave you gave a lot of nuggets, a lot of nuggets. people out there are listening who definitely if you're transitioning out of the military, definitely take the. I see it all too often, man, and and it, it, it kind of it, it's a little frustrating sometimes. I know we have uh, different things that we can do to um, as like tap class and th- uh, you know transition class that we go through, what have you. But I think it needs to be harped on a lot more because there's a lot of people that get out of the military and they're lost. And that that's kind of the purpose of this uh this podcast. I know this podcast seems like it may cover finance things of the other nature, things that help you on your entrepreneurship journey and things of that nature, but it's to show uh, service members and other people who may know service members that there's opportunities for you to do this in so many different ways. You just got to figure out what path you want. And it's, it's not to determine the path, but it's just to understand opportunities are there. If you're paying attention to them. I agree with that. 100%. Definitely agree with that. Terry, it was a pleasure having you on, man. I appreciate you for the time, your schedule and doing this with me. And I definitely, definitely wish we can do this again and hope we do. Oh, we definitely will. We definitely will, man. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I was extremely honored for you asking me to come on, man. I, I appreciate everything and I'm extremely proud of you. I want you to know that too. So, yeah. I, I appreciate it. And we definitely going to have to do this again. And for those who are listening out there who want to be on the show, just like Terry, these are opportunities that we are trying to give other people to learn from and give back to the community of the military community. So take advantage of it and definitely reach out to the Craig Houston podcast at gmail.com if you want to come on board as well and do an episode with me. Terry, can you stand by for me? I will. We'll catch y'all in the next video. Peace. Peace.